In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated it was evening and there was morning. The first day. Now in that same beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God from the very beginning. It has been made in him was life. And that life that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has no possibility of overcoming it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of, of natural descent or human decision or even a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh in his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads you to life. Hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives life to everyone in the house in that very same way. Let your good deeds shine out for everyone to see so that everyone will praise you. In the beginning, darkness covered the earth, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, came into the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It is a light for the lost, the searching and the seeking. A light for the darkest valley. A light to draw. When we believe in the light, we become children of the light. It shines in us, through us. If we walk in the light, if we let it shine before others, we become a city on a hill. The light of the world. When we let his word light our path, the world in darkness. Our lives reflect the glory of his resurrection. He makes us a light for the nations, so his salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Let there be light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So we come to the story of Christmas. I suspect you know it. You probably know if you watch the Peanuts Christmas special. You've heard it a few times. 
You know the story of Christmas. In fact, you know it well enough that the word that you might use to describe Christmas this year is familiar. I know it. I don't know if you have a tendency to read through the Bible, you know, start in a book and just read through, but I suspect for some of us that if we're reading through the book of Luke, we come to Luke chapter 2 and we kind of going to find anything new or different or unique. I know this part of the story. And so I think for those of us that know the story, we find ourselves challenged to come to this place today and say, um, what's here for me? What can I learn? What can I take? How could God grow something? A friend a while back who suggested to me that I try something different with stories that are pretty familiar, and that is to, to locate yourself in the story. Try to find yourself in the particular story that you're reading. Now, that's kind of interesting because you know what you're doing is locating yourself situationally. It's a little different way of reading the Bible. I wouldn't call it a, a theological way of reading it or an exegetical way of reading it. Kind of taking it in and saying, so what's this, what's this saying to where I am in life right now? And so we look at the situations that these characters went through and ask, where do those things butt up against my life? When I say find yourself in the story, locate yourself, I'm not so much saying, are you Mary or are you Joseph? Certainly you're not baby Jesus. You're not a shepherd. Character per se, but, but what's, what's the theme? What's the flow of what's going on in this story? And how does the story of Christmas bump up against my own? So let's start with the very first verse. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Well, that certainly bumps up against our story. We've heard tax, 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 tax. We bring our Western world to this Eastern story, and we could very easily miss the point if we read it through our own eyes instead of knowing what's going on here. When there went out a decree from Caesar that everybody be taxed. It was more than just going ahead and, you know, IRS, go to H&R Block, fill out the form, send in your check, it's done. It was more than that. It was not astral home. You went back to the place that your family originated. So you got an idea of where that would be for you. For us, our family would literally be going in five different directions. I'd be headed to western New York, headed off to North Tonawanda. Kim would be going to Greeley, Colorado. Brian would be headed up to Evanston. Shelley would be headed down to St. Louis. And Nate would go to Silver. Well, for Joseph, he was a descendant of King David. And King David came from Bethlehem. And so when it came time for this taxation and this census, they had to head to Bethlehem. They're living in Nazareth. They're living to the north. In fact, the, the passage says that they went, they went up to Bethlehem. And some, how can you go up? Aren't you going down? Well, in reality, you're not going up or down in terms of direction. You're going up in terms of elevation. Jerusalem is the high point. That's the high point. That's the place where we're journeying toward. We're journeying up. And Bethlehem is right there near uh, Jerusalem. So you have these people, and they have to journey from Nazareth trip. An 80-mile trip that they need to take from the one place to the other. You're thinking, no big deal. Get in the car. Eh, we can get there pretty quick, hour and a half, we're there. Well, of course, you know they don't have a car. And you know beyond that, that Mary is ready to have a child. She is coming, it's coming now. Now, in our home, when babies were coming, we had a tendency to stay very, very, very close to home. 
I mean, for the final two months, we weren't going anywhere. In fact, when Brian was about to be born, he, he, was, he was supposed to be born around Thanksgiving. He didn't come. A particular year, we said, we're not traveling to Bloomington down there, having Thanksgiving there where we always do. Everybody come to us. And so we crammed in a little apartment in Wheeling, and we had Thanksgiving there because we were not going to go very far. Mary is about to have a baby. And maybe the only thing that could have gotten her to leave her hometown is an order for convenience. Can you think of a worse time to have to take this trip? It's absolutely horrible. And yet, they obey in the inconvenience, and something amazing happens. Because the Bible tells us, if you go back into the Old Testament, if you go back to the book of Micah, to the prophet Micah, in Micah chapter, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem be born in Bethlehem. Now, what's interesting to me is that God could have said, guys, you're in the wrong town. I need you to head down to Bethlehem to have the baby. In fact, you can get there three months early, take up an apartment, do whatever, but, but get down to... He used a frustration. He used something that they're thinking, this is ruining our plans. And in the process of ruining their plans, his plan was fulfilled. Is it possible that where your story and the Christmas story bump up together today is that there's some frustration, there's some irritation, there's something going on, and God's saying, yeah, I know, because I have a plan. And I use these irritations to get you where I want you to go. They wouldn't have gone there otherwise. God actually used an irritation in order to get them to the right place. Could we possibly start looking at these moments in our life as a possible inventory moment. So that's one possibility. The Bible tells us that Joseph, when he heard, got up, and they got going to Bethlehem. They headed on out. Now, we've already said, 80-mile trip. And 80-mile trip, not taking I-55, four lanes, and, you know, up and back, and snow plowed and salted, and, and imperfect, and ancient travel methods. Possibly a wagon. I know most of our most of our nativity scenes have Mary on the back of a donkey. I've read enough commentators to believe that that might not have happened that way. I've never been pregnant, but somehow riding on the back of a donkey does not seem like the best travel method when you're about to have a child, right? It is possible that she that would basically if you if you walked eight hours a day, four day trip, could have taken up to a week to walk from one place. To another. Do you think that trip might have been a little bit uncomfortable? I mean, I think back to our babies being born, and it's been a long time since that happened, but I think back to our babies being born, and we get in the car to go somewhere, and I have been careful even how I'd swerve. I mean, you were, you were driving just right because you didn't want to cause any pain to the person you loved. Imagine poor Joseph as he's watching his wife in pain and thinking, why in the world does this trip have to happen now? And why does it have to be so uncomfortable for this person that I love? Often our journey, moments that we think, how in the world is this beneficial at all? Christmas Eve is kind of a cool day around here for us. It's, this is our fourth Christmas Eve in this room. Our very first day celebrating a service was Christmas Eve in this room. Great day. I mean, we come in here again, and it's like, yeah, it's like Christmas all over again for us. As we celebrate, it was hard. 
It was hard. It took seven years. That journey to this house took seven years. And there were things along the way that caused us to wonder, did we do the right thing? Was this the right decision? You look at it now and you go, of course it was. But I'll tell you what, as the journey was unfolding, you wonder. You move out of an old building and immediately the economy collapses. Do you move back? What do you do? The discomfort on our journey wrong. What's happening? I suspect more than once. Joseph and Mary on that journey wondered, God, are we getting this right? Are we getting this right? And what I love is that God uses the discomfort to make us who he wants us to become. He uses the inconvenience to get us to where he wants us to go. That discomfort actually has the opportunity to make you into someone better if you choose to not have make you into someone bitter. Maybe that's where the story bumps up for you today. Let me give you another possibility. So we read that um, they got to town, and you hear these words. There's no room in there. And you hit the Holiday Inn, and you hit the Comfort Inn, and you hit every other inn, and, and you're going around, and everything's full. What are we going to do? I mean, at the very least, we'd probably sleep in our car or something, right? I tried to imagine what would happen if anybody who had ever lived in Shanahan was told, you have to come back to Shanahan just for a day. This little town would be packed. Well, that's what's going on in Bethlehem that night. That little town was packed. It extended an unexpected kindness. You can use my barn. I kind of wonder when that person said, you can use my barn. I wonder if they felt kind of ugly inside. Hey, I know you're about to have a baby. You can use my barn. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a kindness, does it? It feels like, I mean, here, I, I, you can use this if you want. If you care about this woman who is about to have a baby. And, and they extend this unexpected kindness. And you know what that does in the process? It literally rewrites the story of Christmas. I mean, think about the way this passage would have gone. They got to Bethlehem, and they found an inn. And the inn had a room. And they went into the room, and there was a mint on the pillow. And, and they called the midwife. Think about the way the story would have been rewritten if it happened the way they wanted. But God had a way of writing the story that was incredible and beautiful and unique and could only have happened through an unexpected kindness. This afternoon, we're encouraging you to head out and extend a kindness to someone else. And I promise you, for some of you, and you've kind of planned this thing out as something big and huge, you've, you've put your whole Christmas on hold, because if you're going to be kind, it's got to be big and amazing and wow. What about simply writing a note to someone you know who has gone through a hard season? Someone who's lost a loved one this past year. Just write them a note, get it in the mail today. Or writing a note, I gave you an opportunity today, there's snow falling. Grab the shovel, head out and shovel a neighbor's driveway. And you know it's funny because we always say, go find someone feeble and frail and do, do, their part, do their driveway. Why don't you go find the strongest guy on the street, the absolute brute, and go shovel his driveway and have him kind of go, why'd you do that? Because. Just being nice in a way that we could not have rewritten it ourselves. Sometimes that little throw-off thing, that thing that we think isn't important, ah, you could use my barn, ends up quite literally rewriting human history in a beautiful way that could not have done, been done otherwise. Let me give you a final way that this story bumps up against our story and it bumps up against every one of our stories. Every one of us need to come back right back 
here. We need to come back to the manger. We need to come back to this Christmas moment. And we need to ask ourselves, what do we believe about this? It's a great story, right? It's a beautiful story. Do you believe it's true? You might say, well, yes, historically, I believe there was a Jesus. Historically, I believe there was a Mary and a Joseph. Yeah, okay, that's great. Angels, shepherds, said that when you lean and look into this manger, do you believe that? Do you believe that anymore? Maybe you believed it once, and now you're kind of, yeah, whatever. Do you believe this person has the power to change your existence? What do you believe about him? Is, is Jesus real to you? I really believe this is the fundamentals one more time. What do we really believe about this person? It's not enough to simply be religious, go to church, do your thing. God wants to have a life-changing relationship with you through his son, Jesus. And that doesn't just happen because you showed up at Southfield on Christmas Eve. That happens because you he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And so really, fundamentally, ultimately, where our story bumps up with this story, and I mean this for every person, not just a person debating whether or not Jesus is real. Is there a freshness to the reality of who Jesus is in your life? Is he really the one who makes a difference? Is he really the light of the world that can change the world and can change your own? Is he the light of the world who ultimately causes you to want to share your light with other people as well? So now we move to the part of Christmas Eve that is really beautiful. And we love doing this. You know, it's, it's a beautiful symbol. Obviously, our whole theme this Christmas is about let your light shine. So you can't not have a candle here when we're talking about letting our light shine. Part of the reason that we set up the room this way is so that you could see the room lighting. I, you know, I get to see it from up there, and it's cool to watch this, which is amazing. And the difference that a candle and then another candle and another candle can make in terms of lighting the room. But I think there's also some other beautiful symbolism in here. He says, let your light shine. What does that mean? That means that I have a choice. Am I going to share my light with you or not? Am I, am I going to share? To share your light. You're going to have to stand up. Walk down a couple people. Share your light with the other person. So you get this beautiful symbolism of if I decide to keep it for myself, the rest of the road doesn't get light. And I know you may be tempted to just listen to them. And they would say, oh, but we love when you sing along. So sing Silent Night with us. And there's a little, there's a little mix in here that you're going to find just incredible and beautiful.
And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him, in Him was life, and the life is our light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, Grace and truth. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. Because you have the light that leads to life. You are the light of the world. Like a city on let your light shine. Let it shine for everyone to see. Not just so they know you have a light, but so that they'll glorify your Father in heaven. No baskets. No hiding. Let it shine. As you shine, we shine. put our lights out and I just want to encourage you if you don't mind thank you hot wax on the necks is never a fun thing then just hold it upright for a moment as the wax kind of dries a bit I, it's funny after every Christmas Eve people ask what am I supposed to do with this well I mean if you want to give it back you can I guess it doesn't matter but I'd encourage you to keep it keep it and be reminded of this night be reminded of this moment we need to lean into the manger and we need to ask ourselves that question, who is this person to me? Do I believe who he says he is? This may sound really strange coming from me, but I'm almost hopeful that some of you will finally admit, finally admit that you've just been going through religious routines. You might have the opportunity to actually encounter the living God. When we lean in, we should get something. When we lean in, our lives should be changed. When we lean in, we should know without any God made human so we could be with God forever. We're going to leave in a moment, and as we do, um, Look forward to giving you this gift we talked about, something that reminds you of this year. And I hope every year as you look back into the question, you need to be asking yourself, is Jesus real to me? We, of course, wish you a Merry Christmas. I'd say I hope you get everything you want, but you probably shouldn't get everything you want. It's better for us that way, right? Mostly, I hope you get the chance to enjoy a great time with your family and friends. I hope that you will today spending a few minutes praying for people for whom this Christmas is a hard Christmas, a first Christmas without someone that they love, experiencing loss. That's one simple way that we can serve someone else. So I look forward to hearing what your serves were, what you did, what that unexpected kindness was that perhaps rewrote someone else's story. 
I'm glad that we do not leave you behind. You go with us wherever we go. Sometimes, God, we are going to bump up against things that are inconvenient. Help us to wake up to the fact that you might be trying to get us somewhere we would not have gone otherwise. It's comfort you're going to grow us into who you wanted us to be. We get to extend unexpected kindnesses and be involved in the rewriting of a story, a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for us. Amen. Enjoy your Christmas. Light is a throne and she shall reign.